0: Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church, and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Praise God. This morning, uh, I have changed the the message so the people uh, in the, uh, looking, put the words on the screen, Uh, we'll be able to sit back and relax because it was kind of traumatizing in the first service for Matty. What is he doing? That does not compute. (laughs) So... Now we're going to go in some other direction. I got up this morning and was just waiting on the Lord this morning before Betty made me a beautiful breakfast. And I was waiting on the Lord and I got unsettled in the message I would prepared yesterday and really got unsettled. And I thought, well, I'll throw some notes in of something I'd feel in my mind. I've got some notes on that. I'm going to throw them in just in case I'm glad I threw them in. Although I never got to them, but uh, that didn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) So... We, we will see, we will see where, they, where we go this morning now. Amen? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a joy to be with you. Uh, uh, thank you, uh, Pastor Tony and Kathy. Thank you so much. It's a privilege to be back here again. And, and uh, I know I take liberties on this platform of yours, but I do because I know you give me those liberties. Amen. And so it's great to have my friends with me uh, who have tremendously got a heart for God, for hurting people, for broken lives, bringing them back together again and ministering into the body of Christ. The ministry that we have is a ministry to the local church. We're not running an organization. We're not trying to proselytize people. We're not looking for their money. We just want to help the local pastor. My heart was, uh, I pastored for over 20 years, and my heart's totally for the local church and uh, to help people, and to help broken lives. Amen? Amen. So we're going to look at at, at where we're going to go uh, somewhere as the Holy Spirit leads us this morning. There's a holy and beautiful city whose ruler and maker is God. John saw it descending from heaven while Patmos in exile he trod. In that bright city, glorious bright city, I have a mansion, a harp, and a crown. And I am waiting, longing, desiring for that great city John saw coming down. No heartaches are known in that city. No tears ever moisten the eye. There's no disappointment in heaven. There's no anguish or strife in the sky. In that bright city, Glorious, bright city. I have a mansion, a harp and a crown. And I am waiting, longing and praying for that great city John saw coming down. This morning, we are one heartbeat from that city. One heartbeat. Tony was nearly there. The pastor was nearly gone. And I don't know whether this church is closer to heaven, so they're going quicker back. I I don't know if they're at another level altogether. And and God says, okay, you know. uh, uh, Enoch walked with God, and one day he was out for a walk, and God said, you're nearer my house than than you are to yours, so come home. And I I don't know if that's what's happening here, but we we prayed for your pastor because uh, we don't need to, to go in one year and it's not good for us. Um, and uh, it's like Paul said, not without, because of any great faith or, or whatever that he might had concerning it, with his friend Epaphroditus, that he left, he was very, very ill, and he left him behind. And then he was saying how incredibly blessed he was that God had mercy on, on his friend. And he said, I don't know, he, he, he was, I don't know if it was for his sake, because he's probably okay if he'd gone, this was for my sake, he said, I just couldn't handle sorrow upon sorrow. And, and I guess that God saw that for you as a congregation uh, that we, we, we can handle so much humanly, yes. yes. Yeah. And so I'm delighted, brother, to see the hand of God in bringing you and bringing you back. We have we have been praying, and there've been many, many people all over the place. We've been praying for you. So it's a delight this morning in, in doing that. One thing I'm quoting that 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 beautiful old hymn to you this morning is because. It's really important in this wicked, evil, dark world, we have to have a heavenly viewpoint. We have to have a heavenly vision. We can't keep looking at the news bulletins and we can't keep looking at world affairs because you and I are accelerating towards the end dispensation. And Jesus is coming back again. Amen. And, and the bigger problem is if, 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 if we look at the news, we will just get defeated. And if we look at what they're saying, we will get distracted. Uh, if we look within, we can get depressed. But if we look up, we get delivered. And, and so this morning, it is absolutely important for me to have a God viewpoint in my life. And a God viewpoint can change the environment. A God viewpoint can change the way you see your circumstances. A God viewpoint can see the way you see everything that's going on of the events of your life. And, uh, you know, the, the devil thinks that he's in charge. He thought that when he got Jesus on the cross, he had iced the whole plan. And what he didn't know By crucifying the Son of God, he saved the whole world. Amen. God always gazumps the devil. Regardless of what the plan that be evil, if it's working something against you, then it's working for you. Amen. So, so easy for me as a human to get... Bogged down in what's going around me, and that's why I need a, ve- a heavenly viewpoint. There's something way beyond this. God has designed that we have three score years and ten. It usually takes us that long to prepare for heaven. <laughs> some of us get a little longer, and some of us get a little less. And the people that get a little less have already arrived at the preparation and they're gone. But now we're still here. But I don't know about what that is because this is only a transition. We are just a displaced people traveling through a foreign land. But our home is in heaven. Amen. And so this morning, uh, whatever kind of title we want to put on this, but I notice that when I'm traveling along the road, I see the big billboards that are up there or in the flashing lights along the way. And it keeps saying, what is your plan B? What is your plan B? Do you have a plan B? So this morning, I want to talk about God's plan A and God's plan A. God doesn't have a plan B. He's never had a plan B. And God did not get caught by surprise that man fell. God did not get caught by surprise that man didn't keep the rules. God God, not surprised. He doesn't get surprised by anything, amen. Yeah. He's, not by, he's not surprised about what's happening in your life today. He's not surprised. You know, for some of us, it's just like it came out of left field, hammered us. And we can feel so bad about it. But here's the point. It's so good this morning to be a child of God. Because as a child of God, his plans are working out in our lives. Amen. We do not see it well unless we get a heavenly viewpoint. Now, I don't know this morning how best to term it after whether I'm saying, brother and sister, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. Or maybe this morning we should be looking down because we're looking from a heavenly viewpoint. We're looking, I want to plug into the way God sees things, plug into the way God understands events, and not just try to look up from my mess, but try to get up to his point and let me see like he sees. And if I can see like he sees, oh, the sun really is shining. But boy around, it's fairly cloudy for me right now. And there's a lot of things going on. God has no plan B. He's never had a plan B. And in your life today, I want to declare to you, God has only a plan A. Yes. yes, brother, but if you knew my failures, if you knew the mistakes I made, if you knew how I got it all wrong, if you knew that, God never intended that. i never comfort you today. Isn't it a terrible pity you had to go that way? You know we would say, if I was to live over again, boy, I'd never do that again. If I only had a rerun. If I just had another chance, if I had a rerun. Here is the snag. You'd have done exactly the same. Because that's the way that God had to take you to bring about his divine plan and purpose. We weren't going to go another way. Do you see, we lock in because we we see our failures as a plan B. We see our failures is not incorporated in the divine plan. But whatever's going on, it's in God's divine plan. And I got to trust him. I got to see him. We talked about earlier fatalism in which the world is really getting a grip on. They're becoming fatalistic about it. Fatalism and faith look exactly the same. Fatalism says, I can't do anything about it. It's totally out of my hands. I can't do a thing about it. Faith is exactly the same. There's nothing I can do about it. I don't understand it. But my life is in the hands of the one who knows everything. Amen. And so I know we are not fatalistic this morning. We are people of God. Amen. So maybe I bring a title, whether I'm saying it's plan A, plan B, or I'm bringing a title this morning. At the highest level of revelation, there is no Opposition. Mm. You think about that and process that at the highest level. Now, there's no way I'm going to get through everything that I need to get through this morning, even in this. However, we're going to let the Lord lead, but I want you to grab one or two things like that this morning of getting hold of this heavenly viewpoint, seeing things from God's viewpoint, and recognizing things in God's viewpoint. Because the Bible says in Romans 11:36, the Bible said that God is in all, and through all, and to all, and because of him, all things exist. Hebrews 3, 1 says, He upholdeth all things by the word of his power. Amen. I am not at the mercy of a system. We are not at the mercy of a government. We are not at the mercy of political correctness. We are not at the mercy of the people who do not like the Christian and want to persecute us. We are not at the mercy. This morning I stand before you because I stand in the mercy of God. Amen. Amen. We are people filled with grace and mercy. Glory to God. And so now it's seeing God. I want to have a look at seeing God. Uh, my youngest daughter, one day I was studying for, uh, to prepare, uh, for a trip that I was going to go on. And as I was doing that, I just felt that I needed to go for a coffee, whatever was urging me. <laughs> if it was here, I would have seen it as being carnal. But then I noticed it was God. and <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know that some people here, they, they can get moving until a coffee comes. But I decided to go down into the village and I would go down there and have a coffee. I wanted to just change things fresh in my mind, let me see clearly, and so on. And so I thought I'd go and have a coffee. As I go down to the village, I'm just about to park and I see my youngest daughter her husband and kids and they're crossing across the street. they have just been sitting in the central place there at the tables having fish and chips. And so I called out and called out and I shouted at them. And they're getting in their car and I shouted at them, wait, wait, don't, don't get out, wait for me. So I went over to them when I parked and I went over to them and I said, have a coffee with me. So they came to have a coffee with me. Well, I start, uh, we, we start to talk, but my daughter is so angry. She is so mad. And she is at boiling point. So it really wasn't the best time to have a nice conversation. Nor was it a good place to be going for the conversation. But we went in there And she can't contain herself because she's really at explosion point. She's ready to go right off the tree. And she lets fly. I mean, I I don't understand it because she's got such a placid father. And I... (laughs) I, (laughs) You're a bad lot. (laughs) And she is really volatile. And her poor husband, you know, he's a really high thinker. And when you see somebody that's volatile, a high thinker looks like they're a deer in headlights. (laughs) And he's sitting at the table. He's locked in. He's just frozen. And anyhow, that certainly was the safest approach. (laughs) It's It's a timber table. And she starts hitting the table. And she's mad. And what happens is, she is, and I'm her father, of course, but she's a brilliant hairdresser. Now, before she got her own salon, she was a manager of another one. And so what she starts to tell me, as she's hammering the table mad, she starts to tell me that they had deceived her and what they were doing to her in the salon. Now, she has got a cabinet full of trophies, and she's very good at it. And she's got a cabinet full of trophies. So what had happened in her story is that what they did is there's another big competition coming up in Queensland, and they deceived her with the dates not to let her know when it was on, so that she wouldn't be able to go because they wanted some of the others to win some things. So they hid it all from her. That helped, you know, the boiling thing. (laughs) Then she had run-ins with the director, and the director is really giving her a hard time and really verbally abusing her, and really, if you went back to it, it could be a workplace bullying thing. But now she's mad about that too. While well, she is hammering this table. She's going mad. Now, as her father, it hurts me. It affects me to see that she's affected by it. But I had to stop her. And I said, Debbie, 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 be quiet. I need you to listen to me. You know what we teach. You know what our message is. And you have lost the plot. Let's get this thing back in line. So now, the first problem, love, that I need to address with you, and with your own daughter, it's not easy, but I said, honey, the first thing that I have to address to you is, it's not the director, and it is not the girls that deceive you. You're actually caught up in pride. And unless you humble yourself, you're going to be a mess. And look at where you're at now. No wonder eh, your blood should be boiling by now. You're just getting so mad. So what we got to go back now, love, this is not, you're missing this whole thing. This is not the director's fault. This is not the girls that deceive you fault because now you've got your eyes on the wrong thing and now you need to humble yourself, but and you humble yourself in your pride. I know from your father that I can say how good you are, but How good are you with an attitude like you've got? Let me tell you something today. In the eyes of God, my problem to me would be a 10, but to God it's a 1. It is not the problem that's the problem. It's my attitude to the problem. Because as far as God's concerned, it is my attitude to the problem, which is a 10. I will always blame the problem while I have a bad attitude. When I can't see God, if you don't see God, your attitude will stink. Do you know anything about a stinking attitude? No, of course not. I I realized when I'd said that, that this was the church closest to heaven. But I, 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 I understand that that would be true. But now she misses, she doesn't see God. And now I sat there with her and I said, honey, it is not any of them. It is your pride, it's your attitude because you're not seeing God. Who said you should win the trophies? Who said you would win the trophies? Who said that the person is wrong? And I started analyzing with her. Now, it's not that good trying to run a theological point with somebody at boiling point. But slowly and surely she calms down. And then I began bringing to her the revelation that God doesn't have a secondary cause. There are no secondary causes. We always blame secondary causes. Secondary causes, we blame the devil. Secondary causes, we blame the boss. We blame the government. We blame the council. We blame the people around us. We blame the brother and sister. When you get locked into a secondary cause, you just finish up with a stinking attitude. As humans, secondary causes get us down. Secondary causes affect us. The moment you see something as a secondary cause, you're in trouble. That's why I want to declare to you today that the devil is secondary. And if we look at the devil as primary, we will be defeated. The world is evil. But the Bible already told us it all. The blueprint is already written. But the fact is, it is evil, it's disturbing, and it's the devil. I go to some places, and I'm hoping that I'm not stepping in anybody's toes here. But I go to some places. I was in one church, and I couldn't believe it. And if you have sang this song, you either, you'll probably bury me afterwards if you sing this song. And they sang, and, and the whole team was up. And they were singing, and there's one lady up there. She had her shoes on, and so she's grinding the devil into the pulpit. And she was going into, I'm sitting because I'm speaking. And they sang, I went down to the enemy's camp. Did you ever hear that song? That's the worst theological song I've ever heard. I went down to the enemy's camp and I took back what the enemy took from me. Really? In my usual gentle way, (laughs) I, 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 I was trying to get my message out, but I had another message first. And I said, I'm having a little trouble this morning, so forgive me, please. You went down to the enemy's camp. You're grinding him into the pulpit. First of all, I have a problem. The devil doesn't come to church. It's not his favorite hangout. He may be waiting for you outside, but he can't dwell in the praises of his people because God does. So he couldn't be in church. So why and how can we be grinding him into the pulpit or the platform? Secondly, I want to find out, where is the enemy's camp? have you got a map in this church? Where does he hang out? And then you're going to take back, if you find it wherever that is, you're going to go back and he has got a filing cabinet with your name on it. And you go in and you take back your piece. Well, that couldn't be right because the devil doesn't know what peace is. And he doesn't know what joy is. So he sure wouldn't be storing them at his camp. Or that would be a nice camp. <laughs> but the devil doesn't have that kind of camp. By the time I'd finished, I think my sermon was nearly over. This thing is this morning is secondary causes, and now the devil has got us distracted by chasing him. We need to see there is evil in the world, that's true, but we need to see beyond the evil and we need to be able to see the devil's always secondary and not primary. So I listened to them preach, talking about the deliverance and how we need to be delivered. And they have been in deliverance sessions and so on. I went through the 70s and oh my, I never seen such deliverance happening. And, and, and during that time, people were always going on focusing on the enemy. I want to tell you something. The enemy is around by divine permission. God is going to destroy the devil one day. Why does he not destroy him now? Because in a plan of God, a strong man destroys his enemy, a wise man uses his enemy. And now the devil is not against the plan of God, but his pride prevents him seeing that he's not against the plan of God. And he always has thought, even when he crucified Jesus and, went on, and Jesus went on the cross, he still didn't get it. But God is always going to be ahead because the devil only tries to catch up to God's plan and tries to frustrate God's plan. But God is in all and through all and to all and because of him all things exist. Amen. People are resisting the devil. I want to help you to move beyond something that doesn't bring the victory, that doesn't help you to live in seeing God and only seeing God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Heart purity is seeing God in everything. That's not easy, but I'll tell you something. It has to be there in my theology for to be able to live in the circumstances of life. To be able to know that I can do that. People say, oh, but brother, we need to be rebuking the devil. I'll tell you what, I rebuke the devil. He's after me with this and he's after me with that and I have to rebuke him. Well, I don't rebuke the devil. Well, brother, James says that we're supposed to rebuke the devil. Okay, then I do. But I don't. But I do. But I don't. Well, make your mind up. What do you do? No, they don't quote it right because God's always primary. The Bible says in James, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. The greater always includes the lesser. And I I don't resist him by verbally attacking him, but I do resist him by submitting myself to God. And so automatically he's being resisted without me focusing on the enemy. I want us to focus. That's why I started and felt inspired in that holy city. I want to focus on something outside of this cosmos system. I want to be able to go into a system that I know there's a beautiful city. There's another place I'm going to and that I am only a displaced person, a stranger in this world, waiting for the end result. And as long as God gives me breath, I want to preach, teach, encourage, minister, counsel, and do whatever it is to man broken hearts, to focus people on Jesus, to bring them into the victory that Jesus already paid for. Amen. We are not working for victory. We're working from victory. Amen. We are not working for deliverance. We're working from deliverance. When Jesus was on the cross of Calvary, he didn't say to be continued. He said, it's finished. It's all paid for. Amen. My viewpoint is completely different. I'm working from, not to. Amen. Do you see that stops the struggle? Because we, as people of God, can rest in the midst of a troubled world. Pastor telling me this morning, he's there in a critical situation, physically, humanly, it's not a good set. But he said in the middle of all of that, in the middle of that incredible storm, he was totally in the peace of God. Yeah. The medics don't understand that. As he rightly put it, they reinterpret that as denial. You see, they couldn't even admit there could be peace from God. How could you be possibly peaceful in such a situation? Do you know it's not the, it's not the water outside the boat that sinks, it's the water in the boat. Yeah. And what I need to know is that I need to make sure that I am actually resting in the rock of all ages. That yeah. he is my rock and my fortress. Brother, sister, in this evil day, you and I are not focusing on what the government tells us, what the economists tell us. We're not focusing on what somebody has said or did. We need to keep a heavenly viewpoint. Amen. We have to keep a heavenly viewpoint. We can lose it in the midst of pain. You can lose it in the midst of financial struggle. You can use it in the humanness of things that's happening. That's why the Bible says that the Word of God, in Hebrews 4.12 it says, and the, word of Go- and the Word of God is sharper and quicker than to any edge and sword And it divides between, 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 between what? Between the soul and the spirit. See, until I was born again, my soul was the boss. My mind, will, and emotions, my thinker, feeler, doer, they were the boss. They run the show. And that's why we go up and down or that's why we have these different uh, reactions to life and why we can get all those thoughts coming in that's negative and so on. Our soul did. Then the Word of God came between it and it divided between the soul and the spirit. And now, now by the Word of God regenerated in the spirit, the spirit's now the boss. Yeah. Yeah. But let me tell you something. The soul got used to being the boss and still wants to be the boss. That's why I need to soak and saturate and fill myself with the Word of God because it's not a one-time fix. It's every day the Word of God dividing. The world tells me this and the Word of God divides there. The Word of God divides it. My soul... Do you recognize what I'm saying this morning? Your soul... Things you struggle with is because your soul wants to still be the boss. My emotions flying everywhere. My mind is racing like mad. And I want to do that whether they like it or not. And I tell you what, I'm going to go for them. I'm telling you, I deserve to go for them because that's what they did to me. And my soul wants to dictate the terms. All I have to go is back, get a heavenly viewpoint by going into the word of God, going into the word of God. I don't understand why people say, well, I understand it, but it's not a good understanding why people say, well, I don't, read the, the, I don't read the Bible a lot. I don't really find much in the Bible. I'll tell you this. When you don't soak yourself in the dividing word of God, you will find yourself controlled by the soul and you will struggle. Events will beat you up and life will be hard we need to look at a new point, this is what God says, and it changes my day. It changes the colour of my day. It helps me to rise up. I said this morning, already, people think I have such an easy life. Oh, Ray, he's way up there somewhere near the Trinity. And, 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 and if Ray walked on the sand, he wouldn't make an imprint. He, he doesn't even have it. I mean, he floats through life. It's also very easy. It's not easy. And in ministry, it's not easy because the higher up the mountain you go, the more you're exposed to high winds and velocity. And there's all kinds of things of opposition and persecution and hardships. And I'll tell you something. It's just like I brought to Debbie and telling her to get that viewpoint because only as a viewpoint can you handle what the soul would like to dictate to. Only can you handle it. Three days later, I I told Debbie, I told Debbie, I said, Debbie, go back to your boss. First thing Monday morning, because that was Sunday, go back to your boss, apologize tell her you have a stinking attitude, and you're so sorry. Even though I know she said a lot of cruel things to her. I said, you're sorry, it was your stinking attitude, because this is not your boss. It's not your boss, it's you, and you're not seeing God. So what I want you to do is I want you to see God. And I also want you to go to the others, and I want you to bless them. I want you to say to them, you really enjoy this trip, because it doesn't matter. I'm happy for you. Make sure that when you go to the competition that you bring back trophies. I want you to tell that to these other girls. By the time that I got to saying that, she fairly well had got back on track with the theology. Three days later, she comes back to the house and I was just on the bottom of the driveway when she came in and she flew in, stopped the car at the top and rushed out of the car and rushed down to me. She threw her arms around me And she says, Dad, she said, I've never been so happy for ages. She said, I haven't been sleeping for two or three months over all of this. I've been so agitated, I've been so stirred up, I've been so mad, I've been so angry. She said, I did what you said. I went on Monday morning and I apologized to them. I wished the very best for the others and sincerely and genuinely did. She says, and the peace of God rolled back. And she said, I have slept like a baby the last three nights. For your well being, body, soul, and spirit, you can't allow your soul to dictate the terms. And when you have a right based theology, you will not do that. The Bible tells me that Joseph, who lost the best years of his life, 13 years, 17 to 30, because his brother did evil things to him, his brother sold him into slavery. He goes down into into Egypt and now he's even in a dungeon and if anybody has read the life of Joseph, that dungeon was no motel room. He suffered extensively in there and all the time goes by but he sees God. Joseph always seen God and I'm telling you something, in your pit and sometimes life can be in the pit and in your pit If you don't see God, you will be in self-pity in your pit. And what's really important is to releasing that. And then Joseph comes out, and when he gets out, he becomes prime minister of Egypt. he's second only in charge to Pharaoh. He holds all the the keys to all the granaries in Egypt. And his brothers come down from Canaan for food because there was a famine. And food was only to be found in Egypt. His brothers come down, And Joseph sees them. Here's what's very, very important and the point that I want to make of this because there's a lot of things you can share here. But here's the point that I want to make. It's very important. Joseph looked at his brethren. He wept when he saw them. And then when he made himself known to them, he had an open discussion. He didn't go into denial. He looked at them and he said, but it was not you. But it was them. But it was not them. Do you see? We're back to the same thing. It's not them. It is not you. He wouldn't give credit to a secondary cause. He wouldn't give credit to the circumstance, to the suffering, to to the journey, because he said it's not you. It was God. Do you see? It's not giving credit to your secondary cause. What is God doing in this? How is God working in this? I have been through some incredible things in my life, deep, deep things. But let me tell you something. Had I not gone through those, and I'm not putting my hand up for hard times, no way. But do you know something? I would never do the ministry I'm doing today. Yeah. I would not have the... I ne- in my, when I was first pastoring, I had very little to none compassion. When people were hurting, and they tell me they were depressed in my congregation... I would say, well, you deserve to be. Get yourself out of that. The Bible says this. Now get up. (laughs) There was my compassion. (laughs) Theologically, I had no message for hurting people. No message for broken people. No message for people that fail, Because I didn't know that my failure would be part of God's plan. I saw it opposite to God's plan. So you're against God's plan in your failure. But actually, my failure was important because failure is the fertilizer for your future success. And so now... I can move out of my failure because my failure looked like a secondary cause, but it was not you. And sometimes you need to speak to your situation and your circumstance and tell it, it's not you. No, I don't like you, but it's not you. I'm not going to give credit to the problem. Credit to the people that cause the problem. Credit. I'm not going to empower a secondary cause. And brother, sister, today, I don't think this message sounds anything like the first one, did it? (laughs) I really feel passionate though that we have been empowering a secondary cause and God wants to lift our sights and change the secondary cause and say, but it was God. God is in all. Oh Father, let me have a revelation of the heavenly city, of what you've planned And this is the journey that you're giving me grace and mercy to get to that city. Amen. I'm not blamed. Joseph said, it was not you. It was God. It was God. Now, here is a point that I want to drop with you. I hear this. I hear this amongst ministers. I hear this of people. They say, oh, yes, brother, I can handle that. But now, it was God. And then here's what happens. They say it is God, but then they blame the secondary cause. They blame the person. They blame the event. How do I know this? I learned this in Bible school. No, I did not. (laughs) There's nothing I'm telling you I haven't done. And now, the great problem with this is, I blame them. I blame them. And I tell, and I blame, but I'm saying it's God. Right there, I'm in trouble. If it's God, it's God and there are no secondary causes. There is no plan B. This is the way you're going. This is the way you're going. This is your journey. And let me tell you, it's not because you have failed. It's not because you have made a mistake because I can hear some questions coming in. But brother, if you knew what I've been through, if you knew what happened to me, if you knew my failures, if you knew me how I let God down. Oh, that's a funny thing, letting God down. I've told God that a few times. <laughs> I remember once, oh God, oh God you know, you get so, so spiritual. <laughs> and I, I said, oh God, I've let you down. But the truth is, you can't let God down because you never propped him up. <laughs> and sometimes we think we've let God down. Have you ever thought that? Yes, yes. Oh Lord, I've disappointed you. Oh sure, he's really disappointed in you. No, you can't let God down. You didn't prop him up in the first place. And if you didn't prop him up, you can't let him down. God's bigger than your failure. He's bigger than your mistake. He's bigger than your event. He's bigger than the situation. God is bigger and greater than all the circumstances. Amen. And when we leave this meeting this morning, I pray we're going to leave it with a heavenly viewpoint. That we're going to see God in everything. And that God is doing, working in everything. Joseph said it was not you. Let me tell you something. Here is the sign of having a right theology of no secondary cause. Joseph said it was you, but it was not you. It was God. He wouldn't give credit into the situation. He says, God, and then he did what I look for from myself and from others. When they tell me it's God, and then they blame these people, and they tell me it's God, and then they blame another minister, or they tell me it's God, and it's this. I know right there they have not a proper theological understanding of God, a revelation of God, because it's easy to say God said it. But let me tell you, Joseph turns around to those people like you who did evil and Joseph turns around and because of the revelation that it was God, he fills every one of their sacks with wheat, puts their money back in and blesses them abundantly. You And I, when a right revelation of God is plan A and plan A and plan A, We will bless our situation. We will bless those that curse us. We will pray for those that despitefully use us. We will minister to them. So the reverse of seeing God is not just saying, oh, well, I'll see God in all of this. No, you turn around and you bless the very people that persecuted you. You'll turn around and you bless the people that hurt you. And you'll turn around and you'll minister to them. Let me finish with one story because I'll be running out and anyhow, I didn't get to notes again. I don't even know if I said the same thing. (coughs) When I was moving when I was moving in to a revelation of grace, I came through a theological metamorphosis. And moving into grace, because in my big burnout time when I went through a horrendous time where I was reaching up to touch the bottom and went through hell, as I'm emerging from that into a new place of grace because my past theology let me down when I needed it the most, and then I got a revelation of grace like I'd never had before, and that's an ongoing revelation because we don't arrive but the important thing is i i came under the hammer after a while and i really got persecuted for my message of grace then finally the hierarchy of my denomination to which i had been secretary treasurer for 13 years they decided that i was an heresy with this new message of grace that's why when people talk to me about oh boy you're in the grace you know how good the grace is so no no Here, let me tell you something grace is free but you buy the truth Grace and truth are married. And you don't just get this grace unless you face the truth. Is that Kathy? <laughs> oh, i just going to finish the story and you're, you're okay, Dan. <laughs> I, I, just, I just feel like there's a shadow overcoming me. <laughs> Thanks, Ashley. Now, let me, I'm just finishing the little story and I'll be with you now. Now, <clears throat> I really got persecuted. I lost my church and I lost everything, everything. All the years, 20 odd years in that church, we had a great church, and 20 years in that church. And then I got excommunicated for heresy. Taken out of the church. Now, here's what, well, it allowed me to stay if I had allowed myself to be reindoctrinated back into what I was in. But now I'd moved to Revelation. And now I'm back in construction. I am now up in this ladder, little shorts on now, boiling hot, and I'm getting mad and mad and mad. I can't believe that these people could do that. And of course, I have been reminding the Lord, these people are supposed to be the servants of God. And I am mad, and I'm really getting mad at them. And what did they do for me? There's no pipe music anymore, no nice cabinet floors, no beautiful office, nobody helping me to get my stuff together for Bible school. None of that, none of that anymore. And then God spoke to me. And God said to me, no pat on the back, no compassion. Mind you, I'm going to tell you something. I've never known anybody to make me more uncomfortable than the comforter. (laughs) And God speaks to me and he says, do you also want to lose your anointing? And I said, no, because it's all I got left. And he said, then you bless them that curse you. Pray for those that despitefully use you. Because this was his plan. Do you know something? I just turned to the Lord because I've changed my language now. The way I talk to God, and I just turned to the Lord right there in that scaffold. Father, I am not willing. Those people have taken everything from me to up family, to up relationships, to up all of this. I will not. I will not. I will not. I am not willing. I would never have told God that before because i had been frightened he would strike me down. And God spoke to me so wonderfully. From a verse that actually at one time would have slayed me in legalism. And God spoke to me and he said this. I know you're not willing. But if you are willing choice. If you are willing for me to make you willing. I will do the willing and the willing and the doing and the doing. Because it's God who walks in me. Both. 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 Both both it's God who walks in me and does both he does the willing and the willing and the doing and the doing if you're willing for me to make you willing which is my choice then he will do the hard part and he will change my heart and now you just start blessing and i did but squeezing it through my teeth i didn't do it because i felt like it i did it because god told me to and as i squeezed it through my teeth I'm I'm truthful. It was squeezed. I'm willing for you to make me willing. And God did the willing and the willing. And the moment I saw God in it, I stopped blaming those people. At that moment, I stopped saying they were wrong because it was God. And as it turned out, it was God to drive me into worldwide ministry. But do you see, you don't see that when you're in the mess. But let me tell you something. If you make the choice today, you can either go down the flesh and let the soul dictate, or you can see God. Don't recognize the secondary causes other than seeing that they're pushing you into God. And that God's plan, his viewpoint, will keep you a heaven viewpoint and keep you in your peace and your liberty and your joy. Amen. Amen. God bless you.